God bless you. Welcome to Sovereign Grace. Nathan, God bless you as well. He is uh, such a joy. God has sent us a wonderful leader to help us in worship. Amen? Amen. Nathan is, uh, and his family, Crystal and the girls, they've, they come all the way from Hendersonville. Or Mount, Mount Juliet. Mount Juliet. They come all the way from Mount Juliet. And uh, so I'm grateful for them to come this direction when they can. Amen? And it looks like maybe from here until the rest of the year, your, your schedule's more open. So Nathan will be here more often between now and at the end of the year. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? Okay. If they do, go right on ahead, and uh, we will be praying for them as the Lord speaks to these little hearts in the way that they hear, right? But we all agree that small children listen to God in ways that we don't. Amen? Amen? <laughs> because uh, they are more open, uh, but they, there's something about a child's imagination that is more attuned to the things of the gospel, the things of God's world that we as adults are too rational and too serious to hear. Amen? Amen? And so there's something about that precious age, and we have some folks who really pour into them on Sunday mornings um, and even on Wednesday nights. Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to be tackling a very important passage, one that has been the root of controversy in the church from the beginning of the church. And I, I say that Chad Brand is over here just grinning real big. I in this passage, in the previous passage last week, we looked at verses 25 through 30. Today we'll be looking at verses 30 through 32. And last week we saw where Jesus spells out the truth to the Pharisees, that it would logically be impossible for all that Jesus was doing to be in alignment with Satan, because they accused him of performing miracles under the power of Beelzebul. Any hint of division within the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, is impossible. And so if there's a contradiction, it's going to collapse. And so actually anyone who divides the kingdom is in fact in agreement with Satan, and I'm going to say guilty of the unforgivable sin. That's where we're heading today. So let's read today's passage. If you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you have brought us to a passage of Scripture where your Son, Jesus Christ, speaks truth in a way that causes all of us who hear these words to pause, perhaps even to shudder in fear. He's speaking directly to men who blatantly speak against your son Jesus. They speak against the miracles of the kingdom of heaven that was right there in front of them, and they are guilty of aligning with the mind and the thoughts of Satan in doing so, and that Father, your son speaks directly that it is unforgivable. Now, Father, as we come to this passage, there are many in this room who are listening. There are many who are hearing these words through a podcast who may be questioning, have I, have I sinned to the point that God will never forgive me? Now, pray God today that you would cause our hearts to be open to the truth and to be open to your grace. That if we have behaved as the Pharisees do in condemning others, or even just condemning your holy work in ways that are in alignment with these Pharisees, Lord, I pray that you would wake us up to our sin before it's too late. I pray, God, that this time in your word would bring us closer to your grace. 
and not further away in fear. Speak to us today, Lord, we pray. Use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. I've been told that the month of October is a month that you pray for your pastor more so than other months. And this congregation, I love Sovereign Grace. You love, you you support me. You encourage me in ways that, uh, honestly, I have not felt in many other places. I love this congregation. You guys, you encourage me as I, I strive to encourage you, and I appreciate that. So much so that some folks in our church today, I, you, you tell me that you're praying for me often, but... Uh, someone sent a message to me yesterday. We're praying that you don't mess up the sermon this coming week. Cheer. <laughs> knowing, knowing the text. And this is something that, let me remind, I mean, it, there's humor there, but there's also some seriousness here. When we speak about this issue that Jesus is addressing, it is something that is not to be taken so lightly that we are flippant with it, but seriously enough to say, God, what are you speaking? And I covet your prayers as I try to take us through this today. Amen? Jesus teaches the Pharisaical opposition. He's he's speaking to the Pharisees. Remember, he has healed a man possessed by a demon He has cast out this demon and this caused a stir. You either had a reaction of those who were wondering, is Jesus, is this the son of David? And they were in awe. Or you had those who said that he's only doing this by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And so Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. He's speaking directly to the Pharisees now their opposition to his ministry, that they can be forgiven for sins against the Son of Man, but don't blaspheme, don't ever, don't ever blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, but let's be clear, blasphemy against the name of Jesus is also just as bad. But Jesus is speaking directly in this context about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. His miracles of healing and his exorcisms were no doubt by the Spirit of God. We saw this in verse 28, remember? He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Everything he did was by the Spirit. And so if you condemn one, if you condemn Jesus, you condemn the other. It is one and the same. This is what we looked at last week. Any accusation against Jesus and his miracles and any accusation against Jesus himself were accusations against the Holy Spirit too. Jesus made that abundantly clear last week. To understand what Jesus is teaching here, I think we need to define what blasphemy is first. Because I think this is where... This can be confused. Whenever we're trying to understand anything in Scripture specifically, we must make sure we clarify the terms, define the terms. This is where Christians, let me, I love, I love evangelicals. I'm an evangelical. Evangelicals are the worst about going down a path of argument when, when they go down a, an accusation or a, 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 I mean, they're going to fight to the bitter end. They, don't define what they're fighting for. Or they have misdefined what they're fighting for, and they're actually fighting for something that's not the true definition of what they're fighting for. So this is a, here's the big theological word, here's a hermeneutical lesson for us all. Define your terms before you start making an argument or an accusation. Enough said. That was the rabbit trail. It's not in my notes. That's a freebie. So to understand what Jesus is teaching, I think let, 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 let's try to define blasphemy. And then we need to understand the role of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to define what blasphemy is, and we're going to look even deeper into the role of the Holy Spirit. And by doing so, we're going to understand, I think, more clearly what Jesus is saying. Fair enough? Y'all ready? Let's think about this. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, I think we can get an understanding of what blasphemy is. Let's, let's, let's take... Uh, Let's take, or let's take a look here at Ephesians chapter 4. If you can flip over there, Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul helps us understand some of this. Actually, beginning in verse 30. 
We look here at Ephesians chapter, just hold your finger there because we're going to look at a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church and he's giving a, I hate to use the word list, but that's, that's about the best. It's, it's, a, it's a teaching on how to get along as God's people. And I want to begin in verse 25 of Ephesians 4 and read down to verse 30. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, it's important for us to read this text to understand what what the Holy Spirit's role is. What we're looking at, at the role of the Holy Spirit is, remember in verse 30, it says, Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. By grieving the Holy Spirit... That's not the same as blasphemy. I want to make sure that's clear. Grieving the Holy Spirit in this context is not the same thing as blasphemy, but they're close. Because what we see here is that the role of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit seals us in salvation. It seals, the Holy Spirit seals us in redemption. So the role of the Holy Spirit is so important to what Jesus is doing in his miracles and in his healings and in his bringing people to salvation. The Holy Spirit is there. This command is among the list of commands by, by Paul on how to live the new life of the Christian together. That, and it warned against lying. It, it warns against anger. It warns against stealing. It warns against speaking foul language. Speech here is the key. Just as this list of commands here in, in Ephesians 4 It involves living out this new life in Christ in personal ways, personal relationship with one another. Paul speaks of grieving the Holy Spirit here in personal terms. This is important to understand. He's relating our personal interactions with one another in agreement with the personal connections with the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? God seals the life of the Christian with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this, In Him, speaking of Christ, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the truth or heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. That right there, that right there shows us in Scripture that the Holy Spirit seals every believer at the moment of salvation. There is no second baptism of the Holy Spirit that somehow completes what was not complete in Christ. That's important. Continuing on in Ephesians 1 verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. I go to this text from Paul to help us understand the role of the Holy Spirit here. So if the Holy Spirit is seen in personal terms, and as the elect, us, we who are in Christ, we are called by Paul to live out this new life in Christ in personal terms with one another. Correct? Then to grieve the Holy Spirit is to live contrary to the Spirit's will, and to grieve a person is the point here. Can we grieve one another? We can grieve the Holy Spirit in the same way. So this helps us understand what, remember, God equals the Son and the Son equals the Holy Spirit. All three are one, yet they are persons. Not three gods, that's modalism. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God reveals himself in personable ways. But we forget sometimes that the Holy Spirit is the same. Jesus speaks of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit back here in Matthew chapter 12. 
We go back to 31 and 32 of Matthew 12. Jesus speaks of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul the Apostle speaks of grievance against the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4. We now have to ask the question of what is blasphemy? How is this against the Holy Spirit in Matthew 12? What is blasphemy? Blasphemy blasphemy means to consciously reject the truth of the gospel, to consciously dishonor or abuse a person. I'll let that sink in. Blasphemy in this context from Jesus is blasphemy against person. The Holy Spirit is person. Not an idea, not just a mystical presence. Person. Just as Jesus is a real human being, also divinely God, we could more easily see Jesus as person, can't we? Yet, how many of us have failed in thinking of the Holy Spirit in the same way? Let that sink in for a minute. Because Paul in Ephesians 4 helps us see that. What the Pharisees are guilty of in Matthew 12 is attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of Satan. That's their blasphemy. They are attributing the work of the Holy Spirit in casting out demons and saving people. Oh, that's the work of the devil. That's their blasphemy. John MacArthur argues that the modern blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the opposite, is attributing the work of Satan to the Holy Spirit. Now notice, the Pharisees are guilty of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the work of Satan. And John MacArthur, that many of us know, he argues a a different argument, not in this text, but a different, the modern blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he says, is the work of Satan being called the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I bring that up? Because in John MacArthur, who, who teaches us in the modern charismatic Pentecostal movements as being the modern blasphemy, while I do appreciate the ministry of John MacArthur, I love John MacArthur. Today's study is not going to be a repetition of John MacArthur. Can I just say that? Uh, I do appreciate that, but today's going to be the thoughts of, of study concerning the issues that Jesus condemns here of the religious elite for doing. And I bring that up not out of any kind of jealousy, but someone's going to listen to this sermon and compare what's being said today to what John MacArthur says and either figure out what's being said today is wrong or what's being said today is right, and I don't want us to go down that road. Okay, I love John MacArthur, but his argument is totally different than what Jesus is saying here. Fair enough? And even John MacArthur would say what he's arguing is not about this text anyway. He's arguing about something bigger in the culture. So to get a deeper understanding of this unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit, let's first clarify what blasphemy is again. Blasphemy is the utterance of words. Speaking. This can come through speaking or even writing. There are blasphemous writings that have littered the history of the church. There are blasphemous speeches and sermons that have littered the history of the church. Many great scholars have been condemned for blasphemy for things that they publish. Now, when we look at Matthew chapter 12, there's a parallel passage in Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30, of this same scene, and it helps us see more clearly that the sin of blasphemy is the utterance or speaking against the person of the Holy Spirit in the actions in the person of Jesus Christ. So in Mark chapter 3, verse 28, uh, Mark shows... He speaks about what these Pharisees say as blasphemies they utter. And in verse 30 of Mark chapter 3, Mark tells us, For they were saying, or the King James Version says, because they said, emphasizing that the blasphemy are words spoken. Let's make sure we understand that. These are words spoken. But notice in Mark chapter 3 verse 29. Jesus warns that any blasphemy against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness and is guilty of an eternal sin, just as he says here in Mark chapter 12, verse 32, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. That is what causes people concern, rightly so, rightly so. 
The King James Version actually translates this, is in danger of eternal damnation. That's, that, that alone should cause us to pause. Many may say that the only unforgivable sin is to reject the call of the Holy Spirit to salvation. I think that is primarily what's being spoken here. You reject the call to salvation, there is no more hope of forgiveness for you. Salvation uh, is not of our choosing. Salvation is of the call of the Holy Spirit upon us, calling us, I mean, convicting us as necessary to stir our will. And actually the Holy Spirit transforms our will into God's will so that we are receptive and grateful for the gift of salvation. Because left to our own devices, humanity will never come to Christ. It requires a divine calling, transformation. It's not like the Holy Spirit possesses us and we have no thinking. Of course we do. <laughs> we have a will. Anyone who argues that humanity has no free will or they're missing the whole biblical con we do have free will. But free will does not mean that we choose Christ. It is the transformation of our free will by the Holy Spirit that causes us to genuinely desire Christ. Amen. You reject that? There is no hope for you. Okay? But the context of Jesus' interaction here with the Pharisees, I think, indicates that anyone can fall into this guilt, and I would argue even though the redeemed can slip into this blasphemy if we're not careful. Just listen to me here. To voice rejection is blasphemy. And to voice rejection against the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, also to voice rejection of who the Holy Spirit clearly is with intent may come very close to this unforgivable sin. I'm not here to say who God will or will not forgive. I'm saying let's think about this. God is the ultimate judge. We're just looking at the text. To verbally reject who Jesus is is to also reject who the Holy Spirit is. And if it's intentional, you're coming really close to this blasphemy. To speak is to commit a claim. If you speak something, you're claiming something is true. And to claim that Jesus is not Jesus, forgiveness is denied. See where we're going? Verse 31 of Matthew 12, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Very direct words. Well, let's remember the sweeping narrative of the scriptures. Let's think about the whole narrative of the Bible. You could, you could, you could categorize the whole Bible story in four places here. You've got the creation story. God created all things. And who was at, who was present at the creation? God the Son. But also we saw last week the Spirit was definitely present at the creation as well. We have creation and then we have the fall of man. But then throughout all of human history, we have this active redemption happening and God preparing his people and setting apart a chosen people for redemption. And Christ comes. And then in the end, we have what is called restoration. Restoration hasn't fulfilled happened yet. It's still coming. We are in the, we're in the age of redemption still. Christ is still redeeming. Restoration is in the final end times when all things will be restored, not just to where Eden was, but better than Eden was. That's restoration. And so the Holy Spirit, who is central to redemption, according to Ephesians 4, remember? Ephesians 4, verse 30, remind us, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If the miracles of Jesus involved the Holy Spirit, and if the miracles pointed to the kingdom of heaven, and if the miracles show Jesus' power in restoring fallen humanity to God's favor, then the role of the Holy Spirit, I want you to listen to this, the role of the Holy Spirit in the miracles also points to the role of the Holy Spirit in redemption and the role of the Holy Spirit in restoring fallen humanity. The Holy Spirit is at work. Can't forget that. 
to speak against the miracles, to speak against healings of Jesus and casting out demons to, to speak against that exorcism is the same as speaking against God's redemption. That's what the miracles point to. You speak against that, you're speaking against redemption. To speak against Jesus, who is the Son, is to speak against the Holy Spirit. And in speaking against the Holy Spirit, one speaks against God's redemption and restoration to come. You speak against that, there's no hope. Because when you speak, you're voicing the truth of your heart. You're voicing the truth of your thoughts. You're voicing, you're claiming something as true. So if you speak against the truth of redemption, you're false. And that's the blasphemy I think Jesus is pointing to here. Because if there is no restoration, there is no salvation. If there is no salvation, there's no redemption. And we as fallen human beings remain in the fallen state of sin. And to speak against this is you're claiming that this is not true. That's the problem. And so this is why blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. It's unforgivable. We also have to think about, likewise, to, to blaspheme who Christ is. Because, see, the Holy Spirit also is illuminating the person of Christ. Who do we know who Jesus Christ is? It's because the Holy Spirit is illuminating and showing us who Jesus Christ is. And that's what's happening with the Pharisees. They're witnessing who Jesus is through what he's doing. And their reaction to him is rejecting what the Holy Spirit is showing them. You see the point? It's the Holy Spirit who shows us and reveals to us who Christ is, what He does. And if we speak against what the Holy Spirit shows us about Jesus, that's unforgivable. You see where we're going? That's what Jesus is saying. So to reject salvation as the Holy Spirit is transforming the will, then we're rejecting eternity as well. We're rejecting forgiveness. And we see further here, let's look, we can also see in Scripture further support of who Jesus is and His claims about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 2. Let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Remember, now I say the writer, the author of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, because scholarship is still to this day debating who wrote Hebrews. I think it was Paul, or at least some of his students, which in the same, is the same thing. That's just me. Now, I had this conversation with somebody this week. Actually, uh, if, if it was up to Martin Luther, Hebrews would have never made it in the canon. Right, Dr. Brand? Yeah. If it was up to Martin Luther, we wouldn't be reading Hebrews. But thank God we're reading Hebrews because it's rich. It's, it's God-inspired. Verse 1 of, of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness, notice verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders, who were doing signs and wonders? Jesus. And various miracles, and what? By gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Notice in verse 3. In this passage, we see all three members of the Godhead clearly presented as those who reveal the great salvation. You see that? We have our Lord, Jesus, in verse 3. We have God the Father in verse 4. And then in verse 4, the Holy Spirit who distributes God's will. So you speak against the Son. You're speaking against the Holy Spirit. And it even says here in... The writer of Hebrews says, who can speak against this? You see the point? That's the gospel. Hebrews chapter 2 here, it's a warning passage. And it's a passage warning us not to neglect or to decisively turn away, to intentionally turn away from the truth of salvation. 
Just as, think about this, just as a ship's captain is negligent in not anchoring a ship, if, if a ship's captain doesn't drop the anchor, what happens to the ship? It's going to drift away. Likewise, the person who neglects their soul by not anchoring one's soul in the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ can easily drift away into oblivion and judgment. And both the captain of the ship and this individual who is complacent towards salvation, they're both guilty in their sin and their judgment because they're not taking root and anchoring in the truth. Well, I know I'm jumping around the passages today, but we need to look at other passages of Scripture to understand what Jesus is saying. Look here also at Romans chapter 8. If you look at Romans chapter 8, we'll see even something deeper from the Apostle Paul about the role of the Holy Spirit and why speaking against the Holy Spirit is is blasphemous. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Paul speaks about the role of the Spirit in the Christian. We're not going to look at all verses 1 through 11, but let's look at verses 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul writes, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See there in verse 3 and 4, God sent His Son Jesus to be like us in the flesh, to fulfill the righteousness of the law, and then so that the Spirit might cause us to walk in righteousness and not fail in sin. Verse 9 of Romans 8, let's look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Without the Spirit, we're not in Christ. You see the further connection here. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, we don't belong to Christ. We're not the elect. Verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead also dwells in the redeemed, giving us life. And God the Father gives life through His Spirit who dwells in us. You see that? So why is this important? To blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to blaspheme salvation, to blaspheme the one who makes it possible to speak audibly to speak intentionally against the Spirit is to speak intentionally against salvation, period. So what might this look like for us? I mean, I don't think any of us in this room have witnessed an exorcism. If you have, you're in the minority. Nor will we witness the restoration of sight and the ability to speak that we saw in Matthew chapter 12. But all of us, I think, will witness or experience the awakening of one's sin and rebellion against God. Either personally, or you may witness someone else watching them come alive in realizing their sin. We're going to witness this. This awakening is the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that transforms the will to believe that sins are atoned for by Jesus Christ. So to think about this, another significant blasphemy against the Spirit comes in the lack of awareness of who the Spirit of God truly is. Can we, without realizing it, speak blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and the act of salvation that's happening in someone else by saying, oh, that's not the Spirit, that's not God, that's just your imagination? Let's be cautious here, Christians. If God is working in the life of someone else, who are we to question that? Now, there are biblical standards that we see evidence of the Holy Spirit transforming lives. But can I say, I ain't God. I'm going to speak like a good hillbilly Tennessean now. I'm not, I ain't God. (laughs) Neither are you. 
We have to be cautious what we speak. When God is working in someone's life, let's be cautious what we say. Let's be patient and see what happens in that life. Is God working? He'll reveal it. So that, just like the Pharisees who thought of the Spirit as merely the Spirit of prophecy. Remember last week, part of the issues with the Pharisees were they thought the only role of the Holy Spirit was with the prophets of the Old Testament. And when the, prof, the age of the prophets ended, they thought the role of the Holy Spirit ceased. That was their error. We too, I think, can be in error if we're not careful by only thinking of salvation and theology as only academic and intellectual and doctrinal. This church, I love this church because we love to go deep into Scripture. I love this church because we, we don't want to just have a surface religion. We want to go deep into the God's Word. We want to make sure that our doctrine is sound and theological truth is, is relevant. But how many of us in being intellectual in our Bible studies disregard the role of the Holy Spirit in showing us God's Word? Are we speaking against the Holy Spirit? Do we forget that the Holy Spirit is very personable? Because this is the thing in, in the Reformed tradition that we are, the Baptist tradition as well. We are very biblically centered and rightly so. Yet are we not thinking of the Holy Spirit correctly as person, just like we think of Christ just like we think of the Father. Are we mistaking the the Holy Spirit? Do we even think of the Holy Spirit as equal in personhood of the Godhead? Are we even pondering that? How do we consider the Holy Spirit? The Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is a trinity of person. Not persons, plural, person. And the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, not just a thought, not a mere presence, but just as real and just as equal to God the Father and God the Son. But how many of us have gotten so cold-hearted toward the Spirit because of the 20th century distortion from the Pentecostal charismatic movements that we are too afraid to realize who the Holy Spirit is and what He is doing? Let that sink in for a minute. If we think of and teach that the Holy Spirit is anything other than the traditional orthodox understanding of Christianity, then can we too fall into the error of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Can we? Only God can judge. A recent survey by the American World Inventory of 2021, this comes out of Arizona Christian University. It was just published in the last two or three weeks. It reveals some troubling realities, and here's why I bring this up. Out of 176 million Americans who identify as Christians, just 6% hold a recognizably Christian worldview. The majority of those surveyed they, they, they are self-identified, born-again evangelical Christians do not believe in the Holy Spirit as real or as a living being. Instead, they identify the Holy Spirit as a mere symbol of God. Is that blasphemy? I think God can judge. In contrast, and we can get evidence here why this is a problem, I've got two things, one one from the, the creeds of the church, but also Scripture. The traditional orthodox theology of Christianity identifies the Holy Spirit as person, as the Lord and giver of life, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. That's from the Nicene Creed of 451. In Scripture... The biblical witness is even more clear. The Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. 
the comforter and helper that Jesus promised to come following his ascension into heaven. If, if, if you look at, we're not going to look at it, but take notes. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, and John 14, verse 25, Jesus speaks of he and him in describing the Holy Spirit. Not a what or an it. Can speaking against the Holy Spirit in this way be blasphemy? Maybe. If the speech against the person of the Holy Spirit intentionally weakens the truth of the Godhead. If we do not think and speak truthfully about the Holy Spirit in the Godhead, then, then we will speak falsely against the truth of salvation and will speak falsely against God's grace. We've got to be careful here. But I think that, see, there's a difference here between intentional speaking and naive speaking. I want to make sure that's clear. Because I think that naive words spoken can be forgiven because God is gracious. But this also, naive speech, also is evidence of why biblical education is important. We have to know what we're thinking. We have to know what we're speaking, especially if we're witnessing the truth. This is why biblical education is important. We don't, we, we do, God does illuminate the truth in His Word through His Holy Spirit to us. Yet, how dangerous is it if we're solo Christians defining the d- definition of Scripture by ourselves? That's why we have to work together. That's why I love the men's Bible study here. I don't sit in for two reasons. One, I'm helping get things organized in here. But two, the men get into some heated debate that if I got involved in that, I wouldn't be able to come in here and preach. Okay. They're that deep. Jesus warns the Pharisees here in Matthew 12, and, and I think he warns us too, that to disregard the grace of God is to disregard hope and salvation. The unforgivable sin, it's a kind which is directly opposed to God's glory. Those who sin and blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, they're malicious in turning away and dishonoring the perfection of God. And they intentionally and aggressively dishonor what the Holy Spirit is doing, what the Holy Spirit reveals about hope in Christ and salvation in Christ, who reveals who Jesus is and what salvation is. And those who turn this sweet nectar of grace into a venomous poison, They've tossed away the cure for sin. The Pharisees have taken the beautiful grace that they witness in Christ and turned it into a venomous poison. That's blasphemy. Those who are genuinely renewed in Christ are renewed by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that it's, that they can possibly fall into this crime of the unforgivable sin if it's a genuine renewal of the Spirit. But those who fall so low in their heart and their spirit will never rise again to receive God's forgiveness. If you go so low in your thinking that comes out in verbal abuse against the Holy Spirit, you've missed God's generous and merciful and compassionate grace. And He will punish the contempt for His grace by hardening the hearts of those who reject Him. And they'll never have a desire to repent again. We see that in Scripture too. The broader context we see here in Scripture shows that God is forgiving. Let's not forget that. God is forgiving. Because when we read Matthew 12, verses 30 through 32, we neglect sometimes the grace of God. We're so focused on the unforgivable sin, we forget that sin is forgivable. In in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 through 7, it says, God is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and rich in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving wrongdoing and rebellion and sin. God forgave Adam and Eve. God forgave Abraham. He forgave Isaac. He forgave Jacob. He forgave Moses. He forgave the nation of Israel time and time again. He forgave David. Forgiveness is extended throughout the New Testament to tax collectors and sinners like Matthew. 
And, and grace and forgiveness was also extended to the Apostle Paul, who was an anti-Christian terrorist. So God's grace is consistent. The Pharisees in this context of Matthew 12, they openly oppose and they verbally speak against Jesus, charging him with working under the power of the prince of demons, when the truth was that Jesus worked in alignment with the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme is to speak against or to slander. That's a good way to think about blasphemy as well, to slander. And that is what the Pharisees did. Jesus will graciously pardon even those who deny him and mock him, even to the point of the cross. He forgave Paul who denied him and mocked him as he persecuted the Christians. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times and he was forgiven. He verbally spoke against his Savior, yet he was forgiven. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, let's flip over there and read that. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, oh, he is singing the joys of God's grace and forgiveness. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 says this, well, actually, let's begin in verse 12. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. There's evidence from Paul. He acted ignorantly in his blasphemy. But these Pharisees, they were not ignorant, nor were they naive. They embraced the truth of the devil over the truth of grace. There is a reality that we're all guilty of blasphemy to some extent. We deny Christ with our silence. Silence can speak volumes, can it? You ever try to talk to somebody and they won't speak back to you? How loud is that silence? Yet Jesus will forgive the repentant heart over and over again. So let's think about this as we close. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable because the avenue to forgiveness is blatantly rejected. In attributing the work of the Spirit of God to the person of Satan, and remember, it's the Spirit of God as a person and shifting that work to the person of Satan. The Pharisees, they were guilty of opposition to the Spirit of God, the only Spirit that can change the will, who can change our desires. To draw the unrepentant. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit draws the unrepentant to repentance. And these Pharisees rejected the very thought of repentance. And they were willful in their unbelief. And the final denial became a withdrawal of the offer of grace. So the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We've got to remember, sin is forgivable. Don't walk out of here thinking Pastor Bryant says that you will never have any hope of forgiveness. Forgiveness is possible and is freely granted through the blood of Christ. But to blatantly speak against the Holy Spirit can be a death nail to an eternal life in Christ. Now, I want to close with this thought because I didn't touch on it, but we're going to wrap up right now. One minute. Can you give me one minute? I know many of us, all of us, all of us struggle with thoughts. Please do not confuse blasphemous thoughts with blasphemous speech. And here's why. We all struggle with sinful thoughts. The question is, do you act on it to the point that you speak it as fact and you believe it as fact? You go that far, that's the dangerous area. Because here's the thing, thoughts, they are our thoughts. 
But our thoughts are also the battleground of demons. We could have a temptation in our minds. We could have a a temptatious thought that is planted there by Satan himself. Does that mean that we're never going to be forgiven for thinking something that Satan had planted in our mind? We can clearly be forgiven of that. Because Jesus says there's a battle of the mind. Renew your mind in Christ. So don't confuse struggling thoughts with this unforgivable sin. That's my point. Thoughts can be worked out. Actions and intentional verbal rejection is more difficult to work out. That's the point. Nathan, could you come on closer? So as we're we're going to close with one more hymn. <coughs> Yeah. It's the battle of the mind. It's the battle of the mind. Mm-hmm. Last night we got a call that a warrant officer had committed suicide. And it's just getting more and more. Yeah. yeah. And chaplains are handed by people who are believers and they want to go, they want to, you can put your career at risk. Yeah. And it's only the people who have gotten out of the military reaching back. Or outside ministries going to the soldiers, yeah. the military cannot put them out and cannot do anything. But the rate of suicide is just yeah. it's hard. Yeah. It's it's in the military, it's all it's a it's a generation of despair. That's how it's described. We have it, it's military, it's uh the generation that's coming up into adulthood now. This is, it's not, and it's even, even people my age and are, are, we're middle aged now. We are in a generation of despair. Do y'all feel it? People have, have no hope. I mean, there's an answer to that, isn't there? That's the gospel. And that's God's grace. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. We're going to sing out. Okay. Father God, you have granted us truth in your word. And it's not just these three verses that we looked at in Matthew 12 that warn fervently against blasphemy. It's the bigger picture of your word that shows the grace that is poured out upon us. And so God, I pray for your grace for everyone here. And I pray God that you would cause us to depend upon your son, Jesus Christ, and to submit to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, but also to submit to what the Holy Spirit may be doing in someone that we know. Cause us peace, dear Lord, in what you do in your people and who you call to forgiveness. Cause us not to be so pharisaical and so judgmental that we speak against your work. We need you, Father, in this. In Jesus' name, amen.